Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to whatever their shameful, whatever shameful thing things their heart desired. And as a result, they did violent, degrading things to each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. We all worship. You know, I know that was probably not on the forefront of your mind this morning, but we are all striving for significance, for identity, for worth, for accomplishment. We're looking for something and someone to save us, to give us the ultimate significance. And so we worship that. We devote ourselves. We devote our time, our energy, and our money and our resources towards it. Idolatry is taking that worship, that worship that's meant for the Creator, that worship that's meant for God and giving it to another. It said in verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. And so they worshiped and served things God created instead of the Creator Himself. If you're a first-time guest, I want to welcome you to Elevation. Uh, My name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, For the past two weeks, we've been walking through this sermon series called Counterfeit Gods, which is based on a book by Tim Keller. And, And he describes idols as anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you only that which God can give. And so if you've missed the last two weeks, I would recommend checking out our website, downloading our app. Uh, We're on YouTube, uh, live streams going on. Hey, how's it going? Welcome. Hey, Mom and Dad. Hope you're doing well. But uh, definitely check out what we're doing here because for me, idolatry is something that... I don't really think about or haven't thought about very often. And today I want to even dig a little bit further. I want to look at some of the hidden idols that we personally have, that our culture has, and that even our religion has. Every culture, every individual, every race, every gender worships something. I even think about this time of year, and I love this time of year. Football season is upon us. And I can't wait. I love the NFL. I love college basketball. Those are by far my two favorite sports to watch. Um, And so I love sports. But I just have to say this because it's been on my mind, and please don't shoot the messenger, but I find it a little out of balance. I find that we can stand in church and we can sing songs to an almighty God, kind of with our hands in our pockets or half effort, and then we can, a few hours later, go down to Paul Brown Stadium and scream our faces off, clap and shout for joy at every time the Bengals score a touchdown. 
is it kind of out of balance to think that? I mean, think about the fact that we are cheering so much for the Bengals who we all know they're going to disappoint us. I mean, we just know that's happening. We're going nuts over that. But the God that did everything, that, that came here in our form, died the most humiliating death for our behalf, for our sins, so that we could spend eternity with him, he gets a shoulder shrug or he gets hands in the pockets. And I just feel like that is out of balance. And I struggle with this. I struggle with placing my worship in something else, a sports team, whatever it is. I'm not going to lie. I'm still salty at Villanova for beating UNC two years ago in the national championship game. And I've got to work on forgiving them every single day. But... God is never going to let us down. Think about all of the things that God is doing for you right now, and you don't even know about it. He is worthy of our praise. And that's just a thought that I had on worship. But to be honest, idolatry is not a topic that we really talk about in church. Even in my own life, I would in the past year, I don't feel like I've really been able to uncover a lot of deep-rooted idols in my life. And, and honestly, maybe you guys are like me. You thought idol worship was just something of the past, something that primitive people do, you know, and they would fashion idols and they would sacrifice to it. But in looking in this and in even examining my own life, part of me believes that those primitive people were far more self-aware of the conditions of their hearts than we are. You see, they would bow down and worship an idol, and it was obvious what they were doing. They were sacrificing their time, their wealth, their families, even their children to get what their souls longed for. These physical idols are far more easy to reveal. But what I think we struggle with is a soul idolatry, where our hearts, our hearts are bowing down to something that's honestly hardly ever fashioned into something. It's not something that we can point to. So it's difficult, to, it's difficult to discern, but it is absolutely destructive. These idols remain hidden under the surface of our decisions and our emotions. We see it in our culture, and we see it in the church. We see so many people that have identified themselves as Christians. They had an experience with Jesus. They have an experience with Jesus. But underneath the surface of being a Christian, they are still being controlled. They're still worshiping other things rather than Jesus. So this morning, I have been praying and I've been asking the Holy Spirit to reveal, for reveal sorry, I, uh, these hidden idols and to give us the strength to replace them because they're inevitably just going to let us down. This is not about a rule following. This is not about you know, a checklist of things you can do. Oh, idols always disappoint We've seen it in our own lives. Have you ever had something that you poured everything into, poured your heart and soul into, and then you got it, and then it just let you down, or the emptiness remained? See, they, idols always overpromise and underdeliver. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. First, we're going to look at just the danger of hidden idols. The second, I want to look at how we can discern where hidden idols are in our life. And the last thing I want to do 
is what do we do? How do we get rid of them? So the first is just the danger of hidden idols. How many of you guys have seen Scooby-Doo before? Yeah, Scooby-Doo? Fans in the house? All right. Some of you guys are acting like you have it, and you know you have. You're unashamed. Be unashamed about Scooby-Doo. So have you ever noticed that whenever they reveal the villain at the end, you know, they always have that same exact line, right? I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those. You guys see More guys seen it. I know. You can use your hands. It's okay. Idols, hidden idols especially, are kind of like those villains. They're hidden underneath, beneath the actions, beneath the sins, beneath the choices that we make. See, every sin at its core is idolatry. It's a disbelief. It's a distrust. It's I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to I believe that this is going to give me happy, happiness, salvation, freedom. And it's idolatry. We're choosing something or someone over God and acting on that belief. So this morning, we're going to hop on the spiritual mystery machine. <laughs> and we're going to expose some of these hidden idols that have been robbing us of the life that God desires for us. I bet you never thought you'd hear that in church, right? Spiritual mystery machine. So the first thing that that we see as far as the dangers of hidden idols is that they're deceptive in nature. Romans 1, 21 through 22 says this. Yes, they knew God, but they didn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. Instead, they became utter fools. Idolatry clouds our judgment. Our minds become dark and confused. They will promise us things that they can't deliver. They will promise us things like happiness, fame, security, but they will demand everything. They will demand our time, our family, our integrity, our money, and then they'll break our hearts. They they could never deliver from the start. Think about the things that that if you had a singular focus on something, And you were under the assumption that if I got that, if I got this raise, if I got this relationship, if I finally got uh, the fame or the recognition that I've been looking for, then my life will matter. But the emptiness will remain. See, they promised contentment, but they didn't deliver. And so instead... We thought we knew what we were doing. We thought we were making the right decisions. We thought if I follow my heart, if I follow happiness, then I'm going to get exactly what I want. We thought we were making the right choices, but instead we're held with nothing left. Idols will always be deceptive in nature. The second thing you'll also see is that idols... Hidden idols are destructive. In Philippians 3, 18 and 19, Paul is writing about the believers that are living in a way that actually opposes the following of Jesus. So these are Christ followers, but that are actually living. Uh, their lives show a different story. So Philippians 3, 18 through 19, it says, I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many of those whose conduct, so many of those, their believers, whose conduct or actions show that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. 
Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about their life here on earth. Paul is giving us three instances, three characteristics of these people that are claiming to be believers, but they're still struggling with the hidden idols that are underneath. So the first thing that we see is that their God is their appetite. Now, this doesn't necessarily have to mean food. Actually, a lot of, one of the translations, it means desires. So that their God is the desires of their heart, meaning that the direction of their life, the time that they're spending, their money that they're spending is going towards those desires. If it makes you happy, then do it. The consequences don't matter because personal happiness is supreme. If somebody else would make you happy, then just get a divorce. Your kids will understand. If you make happiness a God, it will take everything and leave you with nothing. Or what about the praise of people? If this becomes your God, then you're going to be a slave to social media. You're going to be a slave to the likes on Facebook. You will constantly be on social media comparing what other people are doing and basing your life on the worth of what other people think of you. This can easily be translated into the workplace where you'll sacrifice your integrity, you'll sacrifice uh, your time, even your family to hope to get the praise and affirmation of people. It happens with our kids as well. I loved playing sports growing up. Um, but if, if our children are a means for us to get compliments from other people because of how they do in sports, we are crushing them under that weight. Because when they have a bad game, it will wound us so deeply that we, because we can't get the praise that we actually desire. And so we will become a slave to that constantly. The second quality that you see is that they brag about shameful things. The best way I can describe this is that they're assigning glory to something that's not worth it. A lot of times that's pride. It's rooted in pride. It's rooted in notoriety. We want to be known. We want to have a reputation. We want to be famous. We want people to recognize us. And so we will take our exploits and we will use them to boost our credentials so that we will get what we really want. We will get that fame. We will get that notoriety and hope that will make us somebody. The third thing you see is that they only think about their life on earth. Now, the best way I can describe this is that you see this most in what pe- how people are generous. And I don't mean generous as in money. I mean generous as in time, energy, effort, priorities, and schedule. What are you focusing on? What are you pouring in your time and your effort into? Where is your money going? Where are you, are you lining up your family to head in a certain direction? Are you looking for things in this world to hopefully give you what you need without understanding the consequences? Or do you want what God has to give you? And like I said, this is not about legalism. This is not about, oh, okay, you know, God said don't worship idols, so we're not supposed to worship idols. It literally says in the first commandment that God is doing this because of his unfailing love. That God doesn't want you to do this because he loves you not because he wants you to follow his rules. So what happens? As a result of these three things, these three qualities, you can see it in the verse. If you put the verse back up, 
It says that they are headed to destruction. What if, what if you had the opportunity for your biggest life regret to go back in time and to tell yourself where you're headed? Would you do it? Would you take the effort to do it? Would, what about in five years? What are you doing right now that you know, you know is misplaced? You know you're hoping that you're going to find something in it, some sort of validation, some sort of security in it, and you realize that you're heading towards destruction. Don't you see that this can be averted? So idols are deceptive and they're destructive, destructive in nature. The next thing I want us to talk about is how do we discern hidden idols? Like I said, this is something that we don't talk about very often. Um, and to do this, actually, I'm going to use the story of Jonah. Now, you guys are, if you know the story of Jonah, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, that has nothing to do with idols. I know there's a big fish. I know he tells some people about Jesus or God, and, and then that's it, right? It's, it seems more of like a book about evangelism. Like God tells Jonah to go... Um, tell the people in Nineveh that, hey, you know, destruction's on your way, repent, they repent, and the city's saved. But the book of Jonah, honestly, is kind of like the sixth sense of the Bible. You guys know the movie, The Sixth Sense? You can use your hands if you want on this one, too. Yeah, okay, good. I just don't want, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Uh, I had that happen to me, and I, like I said, I'm still working on forgiving them, too. So I got a list of people to forgive. Um, but in the movie, in The Sixth Sense, you're you're set up with kind of a, uh, an idea of what's happening. And you're basing all that you see and all that's transpiring off this one idea. And then you get to the very end and you realize you've been looking at things the wrong way the whole time. And Jonah is just like that. So I'll summarize it. Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and to tell them and to warn them about the destruction that's coming their way. Jonah immediately hops in a boat and goes the opposite direction on the far side of the globe to a place called Tarshish. Tarshish. Here we go. And so he hops in the boat. A storm comes. All the sailors think they're going to die. Jonah's asleep. They wake him up, and he, they're like, why is this happening? They cast lots, which is basically like rolling a dice. It lands on Jonah, and they find out that he is the problem for the storm. He's the reason the storm is there. And so he... Uh, they, he tells the guys, I'm, you know, I've been running from God, throw me off the boat, and the storm will go away. And so they're kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea. But then they finally are persuaded. They throw him off the boat, and, and then a big fish swallows him. He's in the fish for three days, three nights, and then he repents. And then the fish spits him out on land, and God tells him again, go to Nineveh, tell him what's going to happen. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the shortest sermon ever. He says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And then he's done. That's all he says. And everybody repents. The king sits down from his throne. They turn away from all of their evil ways. Like the Assyrians, not only were they enemies of Israel, not only did they take over the northern kingdom of Israel and lead him as captives, they were violent and vicious people. And it says they forsook their evil ways and they forsook their violence. And so 120,000 people repented. 
from a one-sentence sermon. I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? I would feel pretty good about that. That would be like a good day, right? And, and so you think, okay, you know, Jonah finally did what God asked him to do. He did this. And the end of Jonah, from our perspective, should be, and Jonah skipped happily back to Israel because he had saved Nineveh, right? And then we get chapter 4. In chapter 4, Jonah is so mad. He's so mad at God. He's like, God, I knew this. I knew you were going to do this, and this is why I ran away. And what we end up seeing here is we get our sixth, our sixth sense moment. We see that actually Jonah was operating from an idol from the start. You see, in 2 Kings chapter 14, we get a picture of, we get one verse about Jonah. And Jonah is actually telling the king of Israel that he needs to expand. We need to get our, you know, our empire. We need to get our nation going. And, and Assyria was opposed to Israel. And so he knows that if God is asking him to preach repentance to Assyria, that means there's a chance. That means there's a chance they're going to be saved. And so Jonah then says, I'm not, I don't want that chance at all. See, we started out by thinking that Jonah was afraid to fail. Like, I'm, I don't know, it's a violent city, they might kill me, I don't know about this. But really what Jonah was afraid of, he was afraid to succeed. He was afraid that God was going to show mercy because that's his character. And so we see, we get a picture of the idol in his heart. He wanted Israel above all other nation. And that meant that if God was going to show grace to these pagans, to these Assyrians that were violent and vicious against God's people, then that meant that grace was for everybody. And there was nothing that differentiated them from that. The other thing, other idol that we see in this revelation is that Jonah was self-righteous. You see, Jonah was very content to have God and God's grace alone. He put himself on a higher pedestal than Assyria. And, and then when God showed grace to him, it made them equal, just like when he showed grace from a national perspective. So Jonah had a cultural idol, and he had a religious idol. And honestly, I feel like we still struggle with those today. How often do we want to differentiate, differentiate ourselves from other people? How often do we want to elevate ourselves and put other people down? that are not like us, that are different from us. We see racism is still rampant in our country. That has nothing to do with what Jesus' plan and purpose was. He desires that all nations come to repentance. Racism has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus. And so we see that grace and these hidden idols, they can't coexist. Think about self-righteousness. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I am personally convicted about this. I met with somebody this week, and they messed up. They messed up bad. They made mistakes in their lives, and they're paying the consequences for those mistakes. And when I came to meet with them, I, in my mind, I just I did it. I put myself up here. I started having confidence 
in my record, in my morality, in the choices that I was making for my life, and I looked down on this person that was making terrible choices or made bad choices in their lives. And you know what, what happened when I did that? Grace and the gospel left the room. And the Holy Spirit hit me like a ton of bricks. Guys, I am in such desperate need for the grace of God. I need it as much as anyone here. I don't care what your story is. I need it as much as you. And I'm sorry. I am sorry if my insecurities or me putting myself above anybody else has ever hindered that in any interaction that I've had with anybody here. I am so sorry. Because when I fully understand the grace of God and what Jesus came to do, these hidden idols, they can't coexist. And so I want to really focus in and hone in on this. Jonah is a great story for us to see hidden idols. And, and I want to draw you to some questions. Because whenever we ask the why question to Jonah, when we said, hey, Jonah, why? Why did you leave? Why did you disobey God? We got to see, we got to re- he got to reveal what was going on in his heart. He exposed, we exposed his idols. And so we can apply that same truth to our lives. And so I'm going to ask you three questions. And I would love for you to just be honest with yourself. And ask the Holy Spirit to do the same thing, to reveal to you what's going on. And I want to say, why? Why do you think that you've sinned at a particular time? What differentiates lying in this situation than every other situation. Why here? What is the thing? What is the image? What, is, what are you trying to protect by lying in this particular situation and not lying when anybody asks you a question? What are you trying to protect when you lash out in anger to your spouse? Why is it more important to you in some cases to give your boss a half-truth instead of the whole truth? Have you ever said something to yourself along these lines? I know that God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. Could it be that you have disappointed something or someone that is more valuable to you than God? Maybe you're stuck in a pattern in your life. Maybe you're struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness towards each other, towards others or yourself, anger, hatred, depression, or anxiety, and you can't figure out why it's there. Have you ever stopped to consider that there's something under the surface? There's some idol in your heart that's being threatened if you forgive this person. That's being threatened if you trust God in this circumstance. The other question I want to ask you is... What do you turn to when you're sad, frustrated, lonely, or disappointed? What do you hope will fulfill those longings of your heart? Where are you emotionally in need or deficient? Do you turn to something? Do you turn to social media? Do you turn to pornography or video games to escape? Do you turn to food so it can give you the comfort to deal with a difficult situation. What are you hoping in that's going to save you from your current disappointment?
and you're on your way to uncovering an idol. The last question I want to ask you, and a lot of this has to do with like worship and, and idolatry, and it's like I said, it's very foreign. If someone asks you, you know, what do you worship? You know, what's, what's your idol in your life? A lot of times we'll just be like, I don't have any idols. You know, I worship God and I'm good. But a question that can probably reveal that better than others is, what is your greatest fear? What is, the, what is your worst nightmare? What are the things that uh, keep you either awake at night or the thing that you don't want to get exposed? What are you protecting there? See, from the story of Jonah, we can see that there's hidden idols behind these actions. And just like Scooby-Doo, these idols will try to remain hidden even though they're in plain sight if you're looking for them. So how, how do we get rid of these hidden idols? I want to encourage you to come back next week. Pastor Phil is going to be teaching on how we get rid of just idols in general. But I just want to give you some hope going in to this week. Because if you're struggling with a pattern in your life, if you feel like you are striving, pushing, ending up empty, something is robbing you of your joy and the Holy Spirit has uncovered something in your heart, I want to just recommend the best thing that you can do is replace it with a greater understanding of the gospel. You see, Jesus died so that those idols, those insecurities, those longings to be loved, to be known, would be found in him. Because you know what's important about it? He's unchanging. He did everything to pursue you. He loves you. Your life can be safe and hidden in him. Colossians 2, 14 through 15 says this, and if the band wants to come up, that'd be great. He said he canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to a cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And this is good news. No longer do these things have power over us. No longer are we enslaved to them anymore. Jesus has disarmed them. They have no more power. I love that he's canceled the charges against us. He's canceled any accusations that our past behavior and that these idols will give us, that you can never be forgiven, that you're worthless, that you'll never be happy, that you're stuck in your patterns and you can never get out. That has all been destroyed by the gospel. So that is good news. No longer do we need to settle. No longer do we need to hope and hope and hope, only get disappointed. And so I want to challenge you. Try it. Take what that thing is. Take that insecurity. Take that thing that you're trying to find hope, comfort in, joy in, happiness in and trust it over to Jesus if you think about it we've entrusted our soul and our eternity to him I think he can handle the rest and so I want to pray for you guys but I want us to worship Jesus because he's worthy and he's good
And every time that I pursued something else, I ended up with loss, hurt, and pain. And you know what's cool? He's undone all of that. He's made those things untrue. I still have consequences for the choices I've made, but he's made me new. No longer are those accusations against me. No longer am I stuck. So let's dig deep. Ask why. Why am I doing this? Why do I keep getting stuck in this pattern? Why do I work and strive and still come up empty? And let's give that over to Jesus because he's good and he loves us. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I'm so thankful for you. (laughs) Jesus, you saved me. (laughs) And you made a way for all of us. You made a way for every single one of us, no matter what our choices or what our past is, you made a way. And you just want us. You want us to experience the goodness that you have for us. So God, I just pray right now that all the insecurities, every doubt, every lie that's coming against us right now will be torn down in the name of Jesus. That all those things that we feel like we can't do or that we'll never ever get or we'll never ever get back, God, make it new right now in this moment because of the good news of the gospel. Make it new. God, thank you so much that you expose worthless idols for what they are. And thank you, God, that you still pursue us and you still love us even when we struggle with idols. Our hearts, God, our hearts struggle with worship. So help us in our unbelief. Help us in our disbelief. Help us to worship and see you as good. On Monday morning, help us, God, to see that you're in control and that you love us and that you're good. Father, do something cool. Do something amazing in our lives right now. And set us free. Set us free from our captors. It's in your name. Amen.